Digital Drift, episode 32, recorded June 26th, 2014, Transformers. Got a little surprise for you, son. No, 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 Dad! Oh, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah, I am. You're not getting a Porsche. <laughs> Let me tell you something, son. A driver don't pick the cars. Mm-mm. Cars pick the driver. It's a mystical bond between man and machine. civilization far superior to our own. Our enemy can take any shape. They could be anywhere. It's a robot. You know, like a super advanced robot. It's probably Japanese. Welcome back. It's time to talk about one of the most influential movie series of the past ten years. Our guests tonight are Neil Taylor of Gameburst. Hello again. And Andy Rodriguez of the Digital Drift community. Hey, everyone. Surprisingly, being a movie juggernaut, it didn't hit the top spot the year of release. Transformers was beaten by Shrek 3, Spider-Man 3... Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, and Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. Now, three of those four, it's worth noting, were wretchedly awful third films in previously promising trilogies, all of which got reboots of a sort. This made $709 million on release, and somehow got discovered on DVD, accounting for the second film's $836 million, and the third film's $1.1 billion. I'm not sure how else to explain a formula which clearly works perfectly at the box office, yielding ever-increasing returns, even as the mechanics of storytelling and humanity descend below the gutters of the earth to anybody with a lick of sense. Isn't hope a terrible thing? Because we keep hoping it's going to get better. <laughs> I need That's the only hope. explanation I have. That kind of makes uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2 like super meta with Bob Orsi going, we need people to hope. They need to hope that things will get better. We're going to break their hearts, but it, it tastes better if they hope first. <laughs> I will give you hope first. Oh my god. <laughs> That's what they're doing. Transformers 2007 has had a knock-on effect on the blockbuster model over the interim years, with influences felt in Iron Man 1, 2, and 3, Hancock, Battleship, The Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2, G.I. Joe 1 and 2, Star Trek 1 and 2, or 11 and 12, Terminator Salvation, District 9, Elysium, Robocop, Oblivion, Edge of Tomorrow, World War Z, The Wolverine, X-Men Days of Future Past, The Avengers, Man of Steel, Pacific Rim, Godzilla, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Big Hero 6. Even, arguably, The Hobbit, Avatar, Prometheus, and Inception. 
as well as Transformers' own increasingly more successful sequels. Now, we could argue back and forth whether these were influenced in any way or not. It's an influential film series. That, that is absolutely without question. Hollywood, a word ascribed to various multinational media conglomerates that own the big studios, recognize that audiences en masse like to see giant mechanical robots or armored humans flying through the air in slow motion, firing guns off in the middle of a city that has a bunch of spaceships crashing into it. They will pay, often many hundred million dollars, to see this play out again and again and again. So many movies have been constructed since with the same formula of as much of the above scenario as can be produced within budget, and a lot of humans shouting at each other, running around and discussing secrets to pad out the rest of the running times. Somehow, many of the above-mentioned films still turned out to be brilliant, and in fact, some of my all-time favorite movies, which proves that if you get smart people on the case, this formula can be applied to something already strong and make it spectacular, even if it's not very original in the execution of its action. However, this time on Digital Drift, we are not in the land of very smart people. We are in the land of very cynical people. Hello. (laughs) I'm talking about the filmmakers, but I suppose we are too. Cynical people who are happy to treat the paying customers as adorable morons, happy to talk about modern communications technology without the faintest clue how it works, happy to sneer at nerds and fat people, happy to make us squirm in our seats beside our embarrassed parents, very happy to paint nearly all American authority figures as cartoonish buffoons with no understanding of human rights, due process or jurisdiction, happy to leer with increasing vigour at its uncomfortable female starlet's shapely form, happy to position nearly all non-white characters as figures for derisive, racially ignorant comedy, happy to deafen us with the cacophony of crashing sound effects and explosions that simply becomes indistinguishable noise, perfectly paralleled with the mechanical mess on screen, leaping between close-ups of slowly twisting metal and mid-shots of slowly twisting metal, happy to abandon narrative cohesion, character growth, subtext, or even the most basic of storytelling forms, and happy to rake in more and more money every consecutive time they behave in this appalling way their braying audience rewarding them for their horrible behavior with inexhaustible supplies of money for yachts mansions and space shuttles welcome to michael bay's transformers I just smashed that one out this morning. <clears throat> now, I made many bullet points last night watching this film. One list of good, it's shorter, and one of bad, it's longer. It actually makes the most sense to get the good out of the way first, though it is enmeshed with the bad. Watching the film feels like having to eat a bucket of cheap, non-dairy frozen dessert. You start off thinking it's going to be just like ice cream, and for a while you're okay that it's not exactly. Every so often you'll find a peanut butter cup 
but you have to eat a lot of artificial mush to get to it. And by the halfway mark, you're glancing into the bucket and it's all melty and warm and you're starting to feel really sick, but you just have to keep eating it. And then Michael Bay takes your spoon away, so you have to put your face into the bucket to finish it off and you're drowning in this awful syrupy gloop and you can't see and you can't hear or feel or taste or think and you just want it to be over so you can die. <laughs> Sharon, is this the worst live-action Transformers movie? <clears throat> this is the best live-action Transformers movie. <laughs> so the, the peanut butter cups first. And gentlemen and lady, feel free to jump in with anything you found to be good along the way. We'll get these ones done and out of the way, gobbled up, and then we're basically on to the mush. And I've got a feeling that when we go to Transformers 2 and 3, it's going to be just a lot more of this non-dairy dessert. First off, Alex, you're no longer allowed to write metaphors, okay? <laughs> just, just, just for the good of your health, I Sorry think you're no longer allowed that. Sorry if I made anyone queasy with that, but, uh, yep, there we go. I mean, I said uh, you, obviously a lot of other people watched this and went, yeah! And I don't mean to insult every single person who paid for a ticket, I'm sure there are a lot of smart people who went just to see what would happen anyway. Hello? A lot of our listeners willingly paid money for tickets, and we are part of the problem. Yeah, I've, I've paid for a ticket to see all three. Um, and I, 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 I'd like to apologise for that now. <laughs> I, I oh, well, I think you've suffered enough, Neil. <laughs> oh, no, 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 it gets worse. I will be buying a ticket to four, because I said something about what it would take to make me watch another one that Bay did. And I said, right. I said, I will not watch another one. If it's got Shia LaBeouf in it. Actually, I said, unless he puts the Dinobots in it. Oh, right. I hate you, Michael Bay, so, so much right now. So Shia LaBeouf out, you. Dinobots in, suddenly you're interested. I, I, right now, this is the... All right, this is the thing that I found with all three Transformers films. The trailers make them look good. Well, yeah. He's very good at trailers. Michael Bay is very, very good at trailers. I see, I don't know, just watching the trailer for Transformers, this is just like more of the, of the same, because I've seen the first three. Well, I, I, I was looking at it going, okay, interesting, all right, no one likes... Either side of the Transformers anymore. I'm, I'm interested to see where this is going. Optimus Prime's hide, hiding out and looking wrecked. Uh, I'm interested to see, you know, a lead that is hopefully not as annoying as Shia LaBeouf in Mark Wahlberg. Well, we, what are the odds? We tried to stave off judgment of the 2014 Robocop when we reviewed the original. And as it turned out, Sharon and I really quite liked the uh, remake. So let's, let's just... Let's just leave Transformers 4 in potentiality. That, that was more... I, I get what you were saying, though. It's, it's more a case of what's making us go to C4. And mm. I'm, I'm very well aware that I could rag... I could C4 and rag on all day about how shit it is on this podcast. And everyone who was going to see it anyway would still go and see it. Mm-hmm. I, I have no power to change that. But we can, but analyse. Mm. So, um, the Optimus Prime intro... This is the first thing that I like. I mean, obviously, you start with Peter Cullen. Back in 2007, I remember going, oh, it's the Optimus Prime. I actually remember before this, I think it was right 2006 when it came out. Yeah, we're getting Peter Cullen back to the Optimus Prime. It was like, oh, shit. That was a major win. That was a major get. Maybe it's just me, but does Peter Cullen play Optimus a little more husky this time around, or maybe it's just the age, but... I was going to say, I think... He seems a little more gruff. Yeah, yeah, he sounds gruffer. 
the irony is they uh, uh, they thought about getting Frank Welker in from Megatron. They even I think they listened to to how he sounded, but uh, they decided against it because he sounded too old. And he went on and did Megatron's voice in Prime, which is absolutely top notch. Oh yeah, he sounds great in Prime. Yeah. Although it was a uh, Hugo Weaving mm. is here for Megatron, if I remember correctly, and. He's All not six lines of dialogue. All six lines of dialogue, which is still six times more than every other Decepticon, yep. if they do get a line. But well, uh, Starscream. Starscream gets two, so. And he's not nearly whiny enough. Yeah. No, he's <sighs> my favorite Decepticon. I only live to serve you, mighty Megatron. I don't even know who I'm doing that. It sounds like the Joker. Oh, uh, you know what? Let's not talk about Prime. You know, I think we're going to do a show on Prime at some point because it's definitely worth worth seeing a lot more than any of these movies. Back to Optimus Prime. As you say, yeah, Hugo Weaving as Megatron does is menacing, which is all he really needs to be. But Prime basically holds the heart of the movie and, and like, you know, keeps you going. And so if I'm going to jump forward on this list, the bit where Prime finally turns up in a kind of, right, you've waited long enough, here's Optimus Prime. Waited long enough. It's about an hour. It, it does feel... It is an hour, I checked. And then the next hour takes ages. God but, but, um, but even though I've seen all three films, I still got shivers. I was like, oh, Optimus. Oh, please, they hold you for that money shot. That money shot, they give you the tease when you see the lorry go past and then you see the other one transform into the lorry up the top of the hill. It's like, oh, there he is. And then the longest transformation sequence in the entire film yeah. is the first transformation of Optimus Prime. You know when you uh, were transforming your box when you were a kid and you would go, Settle down, Beavis. Just like the cartoon. And it would take ages to actually transform them. He's obviously, because he's very colourful, the least horrible insectoid looking, the most characterised, the most, you know, he's got a, a bearing to him. And I've got lots of bad things to say, but I'll save them to when we're out of the peanut butter cup patch. I would actually say, if you watch the, the the design of the Autobots, they're all very smooth and rounded, if you look at like the designs. So, so they are, and at least because they are colourful with, Possibly the exception of jazz. Ironhide um, yeah. is black. Ironhide is only black. And yeah, and also the most annoying. But you know, yeah. uh, no, no, jazz was. I mean, it's a it's a close call. But, yeah, Ironhide's uh, overly aggressive Cybertronian equivalent to testosterone poisoning everywhere was wonderful. Yeah, he was sort of the pro wrestler of the group. Yeah, he was just like, do you mind if I just, like, shoot everything, you know, that's solution to everything, just small chihuahua, aim gun at it, annoying parents, aim gun at it. And Please aim the gun at the annoying parents, and fire. That makes so, him R. Kelly in Trapped in the Closet. Uh, there's a problem, point a gun at it. That's not charming. I me. know, it's very annoying. <laughs> also, to be fair, Jazz was the first warning sign. Well, it wasn't the first warning sign, but it was seriously a warning sign of things to come. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Oh, you know what? Save it for the so bad I'm saving it. Save it for the bad bits. Yeah, so, yeah, um, Optimus. I, I guess I can say enough about Optimus, which is that he's very well realized. And if, you know, I, I, can't, I went in 2007 just hoping that they got Optimus right, and they did. So I think I came out of the uh, cinema going, yeah, that was really good. I've felt stuff like that before about things like the Phantom Menace. 
<laughs> and Revenge of the Sith and I come out going, yeah, that was good. I, I never felt that about The Phantom Menace, but hey. <laughs> I think I may even have come out of The Lost World thinking, yeah, that was good. No, that I did. Yeah. But, Anyway. anyway, good things, yeah. good things. Good things. So, uh, Steve Jablonski's Hans Zimmer-style score. Uh, you know, we'll be playing some throughout the episode, but uh, yeah, it's it's bracing, it grabs you at the heart at times. It, it's kind of repetitive when you listen to it repeatedly. And most of it's actually held um, and only really starts in the first hour. I mean, it's, it's all sort of back-end loaded because um, it's all like connected with the bots, and there's no bots for the first hour. Yeah, there's no, but I do like their, his Autobots theme. That is yeah. really, really good. It actually does a good job of conveying almost a really epic feel to the, yeah. to the situation, which I really did like. The, the, but that's good. Shame about the soundtrack. Yeah, it's got a horrible, rocky, so I, the only one I do like that's not the Linkin Park one, because I love Linkin Park, uh, is, um, Pretty Handsome Awkward. <laughs> Chased by Barricade. I quite like the bit where Megan Fox's character makes a joke about, well, says, oh, why does he look like a crappy chimera? And he buggers off and comes as back as a concept and the music they play there. <laughs> I, I like that because it just fits that scene quite well. Sharon ground. Why did that bother you so much, Sharon? Well, just because he seemed, I think I was a holding Michael Bay responsible for more inventiveness than he actually was. As you pointed out, it was probably just a case of they went, oh, that car is yellow with a black stripe. If we play the Kill Bill music, it will sound cool. I um, never actually put those two together until you said that. You did... No. Really? That no. didn't immediately make you think... yellow with a black stripe it's called b and they play battle for honor and humanity i think the b bit is is you inferring but yeah battle without honor and humanity yeah it's it's a, it's a kill bill thing but well, we're glad we could tie that one together for a few people i'm assuming there are going to be a lot of people like especially a lot of kids who are like ah that music's pretty cool and then later in life go oh that's that bumblebee music when they're watching kill bill a way better film well, that was the other thing as well, that that, and then there was something else later on, which escapes me at the moment, Ugh. where there was a reference to a better film. It was the, it was the Matrix or something, Yeah, it? well, it was the you... fact that when Hugo Weaving comes out and goes, Why are you hiding from me, Mr. Anderson? And he, like, at, at that point, it was like Megatron should start talking about philosophy and saying, It is your purpose to hide from us. But he doesn't, because this is Transformers and they don't have any philosophical things to discuss. Well, neither did The Matrix 2 and 3, but hey. Uh, you know what? They've got quite a lot in there. <laughs> Having watched them again recently several times, it's 
it's not brilliant, especially by today's standards, but they, they must be at least commended for at least trying to do a big action-y blockbuster which tries to make you think. It's just unfortunate. The Matrix, especially Revolutions, is hugely instrumental for the look and style of this film. All of the sentinels and the sort of the insecty things with the type, um, you know, the, 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 the coiling, organic-looking metal. That's very what this turned out to be in the end. And, and the style of their sort of moving, walking, APC-style, like, Gundams. So, yeah, the teeth grinding was basically because it just made me think I could be watching Kill Bill right now. <laughs> well, by the end, I was thinking, we could be watching The Avengers right now. We could be doing anything right now. I think I was looking at my Blu-ray collection going, I could be watching Despicable Me right now. <laughs> <laughs> just something nice. Something to make me laugh. We're Genuinely just, laugh. Little kitties having a drink. Um, you know what's a- another issue with that Camaro scene? Mm-hmm. Michaela is supposed to be a car nut, in which case she should understand that a 1970 Camaro is of much higher value than a contemporary 08 Camaro, and yet she insults the Camaro. That and is a fine cha- point. There is so much that is inconsistent with this girl. That is just the stars. Save it for the mush. I am saving. An odd feeling that me and Sharon may have a disagreement coming. Was there any more to that, Andy? No, that just uh, one one bit of her personality that bothers me. But you know, oh, we we can definitely. Uh, if there's anything good, then mention it now. Yeah, I'll I'll save that. There are things that I found good in this movie, as I mentioned on Twitter. But uh, let's continue. Okay, Bumblebee himself. Uh, I was thinking back to why doesn't he talk, and I'm thinking why do did they make that decision? When it comes down to it. Um, Sam has to go through a period of knowing that there are like some sort of crazy robot aliens, but not really knowing anything about it. If Bumblebee can talk, he can just go, whoa, 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 calm down, kid. Let me just level with you. But he can't, and that's actually... Uh, I suppose they, they maintain that for... Uh, Bumblebee can't talk in two or three, can he? He can talk at the right. end of this one, but then he's going, going back to the sort of R2-D2, wall style, beeping mm-hmm. and buzzing. That actually... I mean, he was a, a fan favorite when uh, in the original G1. But I think what they did with him here isn't necessarily worse or necessarily better. But the way it's different, he's Lyra's favorite. She likes him more than Prime. Possibly just because uh, he's kind of childlike in his uh, uh, reactions. And, and when he gets taken down, she cried because uh, it's, you know, she hates seeing any animal or child or somebody uh, effectively being bullied. And that's what was being, that was what was happening. So um, he does have kind of a, uh, and I am really, a puppy like, yeah, he's a puppy. I'm really complimenting them here. A Ben Burt style method of characterization through sound and movement um, and he's got that, the, the characterized mute robot thing down. So I like Bumblebee. I didn't originally, I was like, oh, they messed it all up. And there's a reason why he's not a VW Beetle as well. Anybody know this one? Because uh, no, because VW's Volkswagen said no more war toys. Which is amazing because if, Neil, you'll remember in the 80s, like every other Transformer was a bug. Yep. <laughs> they had a load, like the GoBots had a bunch of bugs. They, they were there. Is and that why Bumblebee smacks the VW Beetle in the... Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, yeah, four chord. Yeah. Uh, it almost it seems like uh, Bay and Company going, we don't need your fucking VW Beetle, but that's there for the fans. There are a couple of fan references in here. You know, you, uh, at least you have to... Uh, they tip their hat to that. There are other, like, baffling ones, like um, the fact that the tank is called Devastator. Why throw away the Devastator character name on a completely undecept... It's Brawl, yeah. Or uh, was uh, was Bruticus? No, that was the name no. of the one. Blitz, I think There's Blitz four... was a tank as well. Blitzwing. Blitzwing. There was four Decepticons, all with names starting with B in this movie. Um, yeah. I have them written down. There's Barricade, mm-hmm. Bone Crusher, mm-hmm. Blackout, mm-hmm. and the aforementioned Brawl, not Devastator, Devastator. Is he? Uh, as in, like, he's... Technically, the Decepticon. I mean, he's not even characterized, is he? But they refer to him as Devastator. Doesn't they never say his name. You sure? Because I'm sure I saw. No, the, the... It only pops up the when all the Decepticons are rolling in the titles and they come up, but they never say their name. The only ones that are named are Starscream and Megatron, I believe. Yeah, like okay. actually, their names said in the movie and not just popped up on the screen. Well, I was going, I was calling uh, Frenzy Soundbite the whole way through because I seem to remember that's what he was uh, called in the like the, when people were talking about it before. But uh, no, he's uh, Frenzy, who was basically Rumble in the toy version. The, the little yeah, it was designed to be sort of similar like that. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, uh, the new Bumblebee I like, uh, and I understand why they didn't make him a, a bug. And actually, it's kind of cooler that he's um, a Camaro. Although yeah. they maybe maybe made him too awesome, like the whole banged up, warm, weathered uh, car thing does have its own merits as well. I think and- the fact that he's Sam's uh, guardian specifically as well. I think you're on the right lines with the puppy analogy. He's mm. like a, a, a protective dog, yeah. um, a big St. Bernard or something that's going to look after him without really demanding anything in exchange. Yeah. And there's a sort of equality going on there where they rely on each other rather than it being you are my pet. Mm. So there was some subtlety being exercised. Um, the bit where Blackout turns up at the beginning and starts attacking the, uh, uh, the US troops is well executed, pardon the pun. And it actually seems like, you know, this kind of might happen if, you know, if a Transformer, a Decepticon actually did attack. It might happen like this, and this actually isn't too far off. And I especially like the fact that it went for long shots, so you couldn't really see Barricade that much. It was just the scenes of panic shooting, and it... Sorry, did I say Barricade? Yep. Um, yep. Be they will all be something. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was much more War of the Worlds, and it was much more kind of, oh, my God, aliens are attacking! That. Those, those sections really work in a... Re- I mean, the whole opening of that film is gorgeous. Mm. Yeah, it's it was, one of the things that Bay does really well is a lot of the cinematography, and I tend to find anything that was action-based but didn't involve the robots, so like uh, Barricade chasing Bumblebee, or, or the sort of, before they turn into robots on the freeway, those scenes looked really good and were really well shot, but the minute they turn into robots, it goes mm. a bit ropey. Well, possibly because you're actually using real cars, so you have to work within, like, you know, you're, you're doing stunt driving. So mm. you're actually shooting mm-hmm. a real stunt, as opposed to just put a thing on screen and make it twist around them. It's huge, and like you know, everyone's reacting to something that's not actually happening. And if there are even people on the screen, which there usually aren't, mm. um, the uh, the bit where um, Sam's trying to pick up 
Michaela in a clumsy way. He isn't a particularly likable character, but he is quirky and funny enough to begin with, kind of, that you're kind of, I suppose you can be the hero. Uh, later on, he's he, he becomes quite annoying. <laughs> he, he, it's, he, I'm not sure what they were going for in that character. Also, I hate to say it, but it's not just in the casting of, of Megan Fox, but also in Shia LaBeouf. These characters feel too old and look too old to be yeah. where they're meant to be in this film. I don't believe that. <laughs> yeah, I know well, it's a problem Hollywood does all the time, but I really, really don't feel that these are meant to be teenagers. It's oh, how it's, it's, it's how it's put across though. I mean, Michael J. Fox was playing high school kids when he was in his early thirties. Mm. So it can be done. Um, mm. I think my issue with, um, uh, Shia LaBeouf was that his, his introductory scene when he's doing his presentation in the classroom, he's way too cool. His delivery is far too professional for somebody who is allegedly supposed to be as nerdy and clumsy as he ends up apparently being yeah. why is the nerd hanging out with stoner Take you, a don't even get me st- no. well you're going to have to get me started regarding the, the handling of nerds in this I suppose anything that Sam does counts as one of the nerd moments because he is most definitely painted as such Sam's the- not he's not a nerd he really isn't he's isn't not no. a nerd he's not a geek he's not heavily into anything in particular that's true he's- he likes skateboards he's got like ten of them yeah he's he's a slacker if anything mm. yeah and his father mm. was probably a slacker too <laughs> Uh, Also, as much as a a lot of people really don't like Megan Fox, there were a few moments, like when when she's sort of thinking to herself, but not actually saying what she's thinking out loud. I think she's not that bad an actress, and there's maybe a bit more to Michaela than than is on the surface because, uh, you know, when he's trying to pick her up and she's just sort of walking away, going (sighs) like that. She's she appears to be thinking. Which I suppose is better than Rosie Whit- Huntington Whitley in the third one, who t- appears to never think about anything. Apart from breathe in, breathe out, <laughs> breathe in, breathe out. I will say this, watching this film again, because uh, it's been a while since I watched it, I end up, <laughs> i get the jokes out of the way in a second, I end up paying more attention to Michaela this time around than before, and I noticed quite a few interesting things about her. Insert joke here. Are, th- are they good things? <laughs> Yes, actually. Okay. I actually sat there going, the time. why isn't she the hero? Because when you sit and watch it, and I noticed this time round, A fine point. I actually noticed she's the most proactive of all the bloody people on the screen. <laughs> no, she is. And she she's obviously troubled, and she's trying to do better for herself. You get that sort of... Tr- maybe uh, it's like, you see that with the, the getting rid of the sort of the bully boyfriend taking a chance on Sam, you know, taking the chance on going with Bumblebee. But uh, an example, like, when, when Frenzy's attacking Sam, he's just panicking and not doing anything. She's the one that keeps the cool, calm head, runs off, finds a weapon, and saves him. Smashing it. She uh, knows the- cars. She's a mechanic, which is very unusual for a girl, especially her age, especially with her looks. Yeah. Uh, later in the film, you can see the decision. She's she doesn't like the fact she's had to run away from uh, from Josh Duhamel's character and and the group of army guys. She hates that, and you see the her fight with herself, and finally realise no, we I have to do something, and comes to the conclusion, mm. and she does actually do something. So I'm sad that going. She's okay. Forget it's Megan Fox for a second. This character is the most proactive, has quite a good backstory, and should be quite interesting. She should be the bloody lead in this. Yeah. Instead, Optimus keeps going, Sam, you are special. Well, 
it's kind of funny because Sam is basically told we to run away. We owe you a debt. No, you don't. You don't owe him shit. <laughs> well, he's told basically to run away, and Megan Fox's character basically decides, no, I'm not running. I'm I'm standing for what I believe in, and her and Bumblebee, you know, risk everything to fight and try and save, you know, the professionally trained army guys. And they and destroy do. Devastator. They devastate him. So I was sat there watching going, you know, I think people always like to go Bayformers, Bayformers. I think we forget the other name. You that do. Attached. Um, all right, fair enough. But most people say Bay, Bay, Bayformers, right? It's Senor Spielbergo. Yeah, he's involved in here somewhere. So I think somewhere there might actually be a good script that in the hands of a different director could have been a little bit more interesting. Hmm. But I was, I was just noticing that the fact Michaela is the most proactive out of all of them. It's like, okay. Sharon, do you have anything um, similarly positive to say about Michaela, or should we wait until the bad bit? Um, right, I'm going the to say something. Place. I'm going to say something which you may all find quite surprising, and I'll give you a moment to pick yourselves up off the floor. Um, right. But I actually agree with pretty much everything Neil's just said. Uh, um, <laughs> You're going to disagree with me? No, I thought that was going to be a surprise. There, there are things about the way. Uh, not Michaela as a character, but Megan Fox as an actress is presented. Not that Megan Fox does, because I will say that, um, for me, the script was shit. The script was terrible. The actual dialogue and the, the, uh, the lines and things like, uh, Michaela. You can write this shit, George, but you can't say it. <laughs> well, the things like the fact that Michaela apparently has this brilliant head for machines and engines. Um, she's been into fixing cars since she was little. You have to have a brain to be able to do that. It's, it's not something that, you know, you, you need to be able to think your way around fixing things. Um, and yet she can't remember that Sam's been in her class since she was 11 years old. That baffled me. Yeah. Things when like that. Like, um, what's your name? Yeah. yeah. The, there are ways in which the character is, is forced to be portrayed that I actually cringed a little bit for Megan Fox every time she had to do something like that because it was blatantly obvious that this was something where the director went, you know, Megan, that was really good, but we'd like to see it a little bit dumber. Um, and, what did it um, really matter that she didn't know who Sam was? Should she? Would yeah, it not have been better that? for her to just go? I know your name, Sam. I just, you know, I move in different circles. Yeah, that that would have been. In fact, that would actually have made the progression of their friendship and relationship more interesting, rather than it simply being. Well, she'd have known how marvelously wonderful and destiny bound he was if she could only remember who he was. <laughs> He's got special um, blood. Exactly. Um, and then there's, there's a bit later on, and it's actually again. Actually, yes, he does in the second one. He has. Special he has special blood. Oh my god! Do you know what yeah. he has that's special about him in this one? His grandfather's glasses. That's it. Right. The way that... this story should have gone, they turn up. Can we have the glasses, Sam? Yoink! Thank we you. We need See the glasses, later. Sam. Thank that's you. It. Bye. Um, but literally, um... they could just been like glasses. Thank you. All right, uh, Michaela, come with us because you're Absolutely. the one who's getting <laughs> shit done. Somebody right. come oh, and you could be quite useful because if one of us breaks down, you can fix us. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> well, indeed. But, but yeah, there's a, there's another bit later on. Again, as Neil was saying, one of the coolest bits where she and Bumblebee are basically, um, taking charge of the situation and mm. getting shit done. Um, and she turns to look over her shoulder and she's got this kind of, there's a pout going on and there's a, a way that she's holding her shoulders that basically, again, 
a director has said to her or, you know, somebody has said to her, right, Michaela, we want you to be aware of the fact that every man in the room is drooling over you right now. Let's see some pout. She's, it, it's almost like she's being told to completely ignore any internal reality of the situation and just think entirely about the male gazes on her. And I find that immensely frustrating. But I actually, yes, watching this again, she was the most interesting thing in it. And I actually think Michaela Fox, uh, sorry, Megan Fox did a very good job with the poor showing she was given. <laughs> I was going to say with the pornographic, pornographic camera that kept pointing at her. Mm, I yeah. actually only counted one or two bits where it was like, Ugh. Yeah, there's, a, there's a couple of shots. It goes on and on about that. I think that's a far more prevalent thing in two and three. Yeah, but it's Especially context two. as well. It is a little bit annoying that it happens at moments when she, as a character, is supposed to be focusing on something else, and mm. yet it's a case of stretch out your arm, right, show your belly. Right. She's, she, you know, she's she's fixated on the engine at that point. Would she really be thinking about how she was displaying her ass to Sam? Um, it, Could you, you not know. just have got Jessica Simpson for this one? <laughs> <laughs> well, indeed. But here's, there's there's little things as well that I I don't know where this came from it could be entirely coincidence and i don't know why it captured my attention quite as much as it did but her nails are short she is wearing nail varnish at the beginning it gets gradually more chipped as the film progresses um now normally women in films have those like porn star french manicured tips which just for the record no and their Um, hair stays Gorgeous. And their hair is Hathaway. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, she, she has chipped nail varnish and short nails and she sweats and there, there is actually quite a lot going on about her that is real. And I liked that. That was good. And the other one I forgot where she saves, well, she doesn't save Sam, but where she pops up when the, oh, the horrible conversation with the parents about Sam's happy time. Oh, she pops God. up I and she sort of stops. But, but how she steps in there again, it's like, at that point, I just went, you really should be the hero of this film. It you should, you should be the main Jesus character. Jesus Christ, would you give this kid some fucking space? Let him whack off. <laughs> that scene totally ripped from Pump Up the Volume, and it was cool there too. Mm. <sighs> Barricade, moving on. Uh, the uh, police car, when he uh, um, moves in and uh, intimidates the shit out of um, Sam. Sam. keep forgetting his name because he's so insignificant. Again, really scary and intimidating. It's the fact that he's gone for, and this is actually uh, uh, something that happens repeatedly for Decepticons, they tend to go for military or authority type vehicles. So you've got military jets, and in this case, a police car. Uh, the Autobots <gasps> tend to go for more kind of construction workers and sort of sports cars and sort of good old-fashioned American big rigs. And except for Devastator. Except, of course, for Devastator. The Decepticons, because... They later become, like, this is retcon because obviously the toys were designed first. That They were the soldiers on Cybertron and the Autobots were the workers. And that kind of, that, that works well in the, the dichotomy between them. Oh, speaking of which, Neil, remember what I was saying, why four million years last yeah. time we did it? I, I was thinking about it more and I thought it's, it's like Neanderthals fighting with Cro-Magnons now on Earth. Even though that, that time was actually only, how, how long ago do you think that was, Sharon? You're the expert with the plan of the Hardly an expert. Um, 10,000, uh, 10 million years? 35,000 years, I think, is roughly when Cro-Magnon people started appearing. So, so. a lot more recently. Mm. Uh, and imagine that them having a fight now. Why the, the 4 million years would be a very long time in human terms and that would have moved forward. But this is technology. Look at the iPod 
12 years ago. And look at it now. Imagine how much Cybertron would evolve, technologically speaking, in 4 million years. By the time they got back to Cybertron to continue their fight, the bots on that planet would have basically learned to, to become pure energy. Pure energon. Possible, but it depends which route you go down, whether or not the war stifles technological growth or yeah, enhances but that's it. That's a lot of stifling for four million years. Also, Doesn't how many war bots generally cause technological development in yeah. most? Yeah, in most wars, technology advances due to having to escalate. Mm. So. Either way, in terms of comics and, uh, I think, TV show, what really happens is that Cybertron stays exactly the bloody same. So when the Autobots go back, it's like, oh, hey, how's it going? Yeah, I've been watching the uh, computers. Um, and uh, the milk went off. I bought some more. <laughs> no, uh, what I'd like is they go back and they've been at peace for about three million or, or yeah, three and a half million you know, years. It's like, yeah, thank God you left. It's much better that this film just goes, look, there was this planet called Cybertron, now we're here. And there's none of this kind of waiting around stuff, they're just here now. And maybe some of them came a while ago, but you know, this is all secret stuff, and they don't like put a smack a date on it and then have to retroactively stick with that. It's much more sort of writing story as they go along. However, the story ends up as an absolute pile of bollocks, so it doesn't matter anyway. But I, I kind of prefer the idea of like the Transformers just come here from Cybertron. Okay, so um, as I've said before, the bit where Bumblebee gets captured and Sam actually reacts. You mean Charlotte Buff actually does some acting? He cares about something or someone other than himself for a moment. That's yeah. that's a, a, a good, nice, sort of powerful bit. We're getting to the end of this list now. And if you're uh, aware, folks, that is about the only bit of character growth he gets for three films. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, of course, Prime's freedom is the right of every sentient being speech is a sort of wonderful like like there's been fuck all since bumblebee got captured and then there's fuck all up until the end but that one bit you're like oh yeah right prime's like stepping up and we're gonna actually get something done and then they do get something done it's very loud it takes ages and then lincoln park at the coda because i like lincoln park yes and also this is uh, the final of this so- film is the only time the only time in the rest of this franchise, where you will see the military actually being fairly effective. They seem to have forgot about the, was it, Sabo rounds by the next film? Oh, yeah? Because every time they attack, they are pretty much useless. Also, actually, the bit where um, the guy who looks a bit like Timothy Oliphant, like, Josh rides Dumal. a motor, Josh Dumal rides on a motorbike towards, who would, is it Blackout at that point? Yeah, and, and then skids along on his back going, ah, and shoots up at him and shoots him in the bollocks with a grenade launcher. That basically reminds me of all of Vanquish, because the whole of Vanquish is that over and over again, and it's awesome. <laughs> if you like the combat in these, I suppose, if check out Vanquish, basically. It's, it's, I mean, it's going to be dirt cheap now, and uh, it contains some really kind of breakneck uh, gears style combat, but uh, it encourages you to leap out from your cover and put yourself in harm's way, but also to basically slow down time using your special suit, bullseye them while you're in 
bullet time effect. It's, it's kind of like a, a hyperkinetic Max Payne with robots. Lots of robots that look like Decepticons. Oh, it's Platinum Games, isn't it? Everyone seems to love them. We'll, we'll see after the Cora game. Is there anything else that's good? I actually just thought of something that I hadn't connected before. Um, you know what I was saying about the uh, the idiot cop who tries to intimidate um, Sam by flashing his gun at him and getting I think all looking all at my piece, Vincent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that was the point I was bouncing my head off the table. Well, indeed. But I've just realised what that may well have been. Put that in direct comparison with Barricade in police car form running him up against the wall. Now, that is how you intimidate. Yes. So it's like humans, bitshit, wildly ineffectual. Transformers, much better at this stuff. I think Barricade ended up being my favourite Decepticon in this entire film, simply because although he does exactly what everybody else does in his on his side, uh, he is effective. He's he's pretty intimidating and effective about it, and uh, also because he wasn't ever really taken on by a bot in a long term sense. I mean, Bumblebee sort of throws him off, but um, uh, you got Megatron doing his thing, and it's basically just him and Optimus tumbling all over the place. And because also Barricade was a new creation, I think he was new for this movie, um, they weren't no. messing with... Oh, no, he was? He he was G1. Was he one of the... Oh, he was. Stupid. He's a, a micromaster. He is in Generation 1, and he uh, transforms into a blue and magenta Formula 1 race car. Okay. Oh. Uh, but Barricade wasn't, like, a major character of Generation 1 that they were messing with. In the same way that, like... Ironhide offended me, as did Jazz. I would, I would far rather they uh, they got like unused bots and made them like proper characters than messed with existing bots. Of course, the ideal would be to ring in and update existing bots in the same like they did with Ratchet in Prime and uh, RC, and just like go right. Well, let's layer upon layer these characters, shall we? But we can't have everything, can we? Characterization, story development <laughs> a sense of time passing people learning <sighs> anyway I mean okay the pacing of this film they were ideally trying to make it feel like Jurassic Park and I understand that they were like you know hold it back hold it back but the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park were better characterized than most of the bots in this oh yeah the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park actually had personality in the ways of identifying them yeah it was very dinosaurs clear said more yeah. <laughs> Still more than what after Decepticon said. They just went. I am Megatron. It's all this bit. <laughs> There's that bit where Megatron breaks free and he shouts out, "I am Megatron!" Like it matters. He would shout something along the lines of, "What is the meaning of this?" Like, no, I, I would imagine he go, "Oh, me back." <laughs> <laughs>
So let's start with the bad, shall we? Oh, we God, have there's to. so much. <sighs> Deep breath, everyone. We can oh. do this. Right, okay. The okay. I suppose you can't really say that it's bad that they do the product placements. It's the whole thing is precipitated upon by toy sales, but horse... That, but but the, the, some of them are really bad. The Xbox one. The Mountain Dew one. Ugh. The, the See, some of them are slightly explainable, like like uh, is it Cadillac? When Jazz goes and scans the car, that makes sense. He's looking for a disguise. Oh no, it's Pontiac. Pontiac. Yeah, yeah. It's Pontiac. Yeah, Pontiac Solstice. I can understand why they'd yeah. be like putting the car models front and center and going like you know going to uh, Chevrolet and saying look if we use your car model, every teenager in America is going to want to buy a Camaro, right? And that that makes perfect sense, but I'm not sure they needed Mountain Dew. <laughs> it's what it's, it's what the nerds drink, right? <sighs> okay, so if we start from the beginning, the intro, which you get Optimus Prime going, in the beginning there was the cube, and it's like I was just really happy to hear his voice. I was like, wow! But I didn't really think about it until watching it the second time. I was like. He's just saying bollocks, though, isn't he? Yes. He's, going, He's saying utter bollocks. There was the MacGuffin, and the MacGuffin was the source of all bloody blah And, like, as the film develops, this cube comes into play, and I still don't bloody know what it does. Apparently, it turns everything evil for a start, so I'm not entirely sure why they want it. it. Creates, well, I can see why they want it. It but. creates the spark of life in mechanical uh, and inorganic um, matter. I understand that. It turns them into tiny little in, insane insect-like uh, things that immediately attack humans. Uh, okay. Right. Fair enough. It also transforms down to a really portable size for yeah. convenience. What were they trying to do with it? They were trying to destroy it originally, weren't they? I'm sure that's what I'm sad. They, they, they were trying to, find yeah. it to destroy it to stop Megatron getting it and turning everything Decepticon. Hang on. So they... I said this on Twitter. I'm trying not to be sarcastic here, but it appeared like they were taking it to the closest, highly populated urban area so that there could be the most civilian casualties and that we could also get a sense of scale from the... Oh, the plan on that, I think, was they were trying to hide it so they headed to the city because they didn't think the Decepticons could find them inside. I would assume in amongst all those people. That's crazy. Well, as, they, as you, you kind of pointed out, yeah, it makes no sense, because highly populated area, Decepticons don't give a monkeys. It's behind four football fields thickness of, of, of uh, concrete, concrete in this dam, right? Why not just get all the Autobots inside that dam and get them to basically have a siege versus all the Decepticons? I suppose if they destroyed the Hoover Dam, I don't know. Blood. Also, at that point, I don't think the, they didn't have the Autobots with them. I don't know if the Autobots actually knew where they were and were headed there, but they sort of just conveniently pass each other, and Optimus Prime does a really awesome handbrake turn, but, but they I just mean, pass each other on the road. Yeah, we've seen this film multiple times. We still don't really know what they're trying to do at the end. It's that It involves the cube and going somewhere and doing it involves, something. Basically, it's an excuse to have lots and lots of action and buildings and stuff and explosions well, yeah. and stuff. But, I mean, the Avengers, it makes perfect sense. That's where Loki pulls the aliens through, and the Avengers try to quell this alien invasion, because it's in New York. That makes yeah. perfect sense. And because that's what Loki wanted. He wanted a big show. He, you know, 
you want an audience. And, uh, <laughs> but the, oh god, I could be talking about the Avengers instead of this. Pull back, pull back. So yeah, the MacGuffin is just absolute bollocks. The whole way through this film, whenever they talk about the actual thing that they're supposed to be there for, is just utter guff. Um, right. Now we get to the in- insulting stuff. Because obviously this is sort of mixed in and out of the, uh, the sort of the goings on at the beginning with a lot of humans talking and a lot of, a lot of things happening. We're being introduced to a lot of characters, almost none of whom get named. Um, black people are funny. I counted six times where basically the characters, by volition of being black and talking like, I don't know, maybe it's Michael Bay, maybe it's this, the scriptwriters, but it seems like this sort of thing happens in Bad Boys, and I would warrant in Pain and Gain as well, and in uh, even in The Rock, um, which I like. Um, I like Bad Boys 1, by the way. Oh, yeah, Bad Boys 1 is good. 2, not so much. It's a difficult one to handle, because basically you could just say, well, they're just saying funny things that if they were white, they'd say funny things in a different way. But it seems to be like like they, they custom wrote this line for a black person to say because it would be funnier if a black person said it. And of all the people to get to say it, why, Bernie Mac? Why? Now, sadly departed. But, but, uh, but you look at him in a film with a good script and everything, say, the Ocean Ocean's series. Well, the first one. The, I like all three, but... You like all three? Okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> They're better than these. Yeah. But, you know, you look at him in there, and he's given good and funny lines, and he makes them work really well. Mm. He even plays the race card in the first film, and it's hilariously funny. Yeah, with a car dealership, as I recall. Yep. Um, but, I mean, most of this actually takes place with the, the hacker. Is he a hacker? I think he's... I can't meant- remember his name. All I know is it's Keenan Kel guy, isn't it? Is it? Oh. Okay, yeah, that guy. Whatever. I'm going to call him Donut because he, he's the one who goes, ate the whole plate. And he screeches. Right. Instances of people screaming when they should... they Unnecessary screaming, nine. People just yelling at each other, and a lot of it comes from him. Um, fat people are funny, too, in this. Instances where, basically, like, the, the, the kid's running with his video camera, but it's funnier that he's a nerd, and it's funnier that he's fat. So a lot of these are crossovers, because nerds being pathetic, nine counts. Fat people being funny, five counts. So like I said, there's a lot of sort of doubling up. I think uh, the hacker manages to get fat, black, nerd. And screaming. And screaming. It's just this horrible cocktail. He's the perfect storm. Yeah. Parents are embarrassing. Eight counts. Now, this a lot of this comes from Sam's parents, and a lot of this was just like, I'm just going to add an extra one here and an extra one because they're hammering this one into the ground. Um, but, yeah, that just the stuff they come up with. And they only get worse from here. This, bear in mind, this was Michael Bay being tempered by Spielberg. <laughs> they only get worse from here. Here. It seems like they allow them to ad lib a lot, especially at the end when they're sort of interv- being interviewed by the, the press or the. F- you know what's really annoying? These two actors again are really, really good yeah. in other things. Sharon theorised that this is basically small soldiers. That's why you get Alan Abernathy's dad. Hmm. Can see that. Small soldiers with no irony, specifically. <laughs> yeah, but this, Michael, this... Bay, Michael Bay does not understand irony. No, what, what was it made me think that? It was something Megatron turned up and did something, and I was like, he's he just sounds like... Tommy Lee Jones, um, Chip yeah. Hazard. Chip Hazard, yeah. 
Okay, another one. Four counts of author- at least four. I probably gave up counting. Authorities operating outside the law. That's basically uh, police or government officials abusing their power. I am by no means saying that all authority figures do act within their jurisdiction. But there was only one guy who I thought, okay, this guy was in the West Wing. He's a professional. Maybe he'll come in and start behaving professionally. But then he, as you said, Charity, he started acting really inscrutable. And he couldn't, he couldn't just speak straight about the Mars landing. Oh, yeah. He's still... I was about to say, it's uh, sort of the, the Secretary of Defense and the people around him that seem not to be abusing the authority. But when it comes down to... Dugged out cop, I want to call him. Yeah. On drugs. Um, when it comes down to just about any other... Uh, Simmons. Is it Simmons? Oh, God. Sim- John Turturro is <laughs> one of the worst things in this. And He's he is one of the worst ex- things in all of them. He is an excellent actor. He is one of the best things in the World War Z audiobook. Yes, he, he is. is. An absolute bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> He's an absolute bullshit. <laughs> he is an absolute diamond in something like, say, The Big Lebowski or Barton Fink. Or it was, it was him... I was going to say, well, Miller's Crossing, that's Gabriel Byrne. Of course not. Of course, yes, he was the one that Gabriel Byrne was going to kill. And yet here, he's so awful to watch. And why has he got that Sector 7 Superman vest and crazy underwear on? It's just so many cheap jokes just crammed in to make teenagers and kids go, <laughs> See, I, I can't help but thinking think, and this comes back to what I was saying about the script is is the worst thing about this is utterly terrible um but one of two things is happening here either it's a case of um uh the the combination of uh robert orsi and who's the other chap who's script on script writing duties robert orsi alex kurtzman alex kurtzman alex okay kurtzman. so so either it's a case of the combination of orsi uh kurtzman and bay uh, are looking at this through the eyes of um, emotionally 12 year old white boys who see the world divided up in groups of the female people for them to drool over and uh, anybody who doesn't look like them um, for them to laugh at and anybody who might be trying to hamper their fun for them to thumb their nose at either that's what they think or because that's the demographic that they are specifically trying to market to, they think that that's what their audience are going to think. And that's kind of what really depresses me about this, that it just seems so box-tickingly, oh, yeah, we're trying to target it at these particular groups of people, and we know that they will laugh at these particular groups of people, so let's put loads of them in. That whole black people are funny thing, what makes it worse is the fact that it keeps happening. It's, you know, when you have numerous black characters in your film, and all of them talk in this weird urban jivey type way that makes Except everybody for the laugh hysterically. Apart from the soldier, yes, all right, to give them credit, they had one example of a, uh, a black person who actually gets to be serious and upstanding. It's never and, remarked and upon that he's black job. for a start. No, and he doesn't speak not. in a manner that you're like, well, obviously he's black and urban. Indeed. Played but by then- Tyrese Gibson. He's with the soldiers, so maybe he's classed in the authority group, but he's not the entirely authority group because they are still, um, you know, they're young guys. They are less restricted than uh, the other authority groups. and and They actually act out against the government as well. Exactly. And even hold them at gunpoint like R. Kelly. Oh, my – that, yes, because, of course – 
that's what professionally trained soldiers do when a situation isn't going their way. They whip their pistols out. Do you remember what happened in The Rock at the end of that when the uh, the, uh, uh, the young soldiers started pointing their guns at the uh, old major? Didn't work out too well. No. And that was by Michael Bay, a younger, smarter Michael Bay. You know what's really depressing? I'm just flicking through. So, <laughs> Kurtzman and Orsi. I know you called the script bad, but looking at what else they've done, it's like, uh huh, I am they confused. They did Star by Trek. They did both Star Treks. Yep. They did, uh, they listed Spider-Man. on, they did Spider-Man, they've done Hawaii Five-O, Sleepy Hollow, one of them's done Fringe, uh, what else we got in there? Uh, Mission Impossible 3. Yeah. So what I, are you trying that, to say, Neil? We're holding Bay and Tyler responsible for this one? I'm saying, well, the, the second one, it's quite well known that the majority of the rewrites because it took place during the writer's strike was done by one Mr. Bay. Yeah, so I'm wondering yeah. how much how much is theirs and how much is Bay. You yeah. could say that two really suffered uh, because of the writer's strike. You could also say it didn't make a blind bit of difference and that had a horrible knock-on effect on Hollywood. The idea being the writers went on strike, then Transformers came around and proved how unimportant writers were for box office. That's a terrible thing to prove with your striking. And now I feel really depressed. Yeah. There have been several films that Orsi and Kurtzman have uh, written that I've actually really enjoyed. So I cannot and will not just point a finger at them and say both crazy and stupid. Also, they write a fair bit for Transformers Prime. Mm, Indeed, yeah, I think they exec produced... I'm wondering if they write, they did Prime to make up for this. Maybe. Um, but I, I will say, at least, that uh, you, you may be onto something about them box-ticking and aiming very specifically at, at a bunch of uh, imagined morons who just happen to also turn up to the cinema to meet this particular demographic. Well, the other thing is, as well, what you said about Bay being very good at making trailers, um, one impression that I did kind of get from this script was that it there were several bits that seemed to be... Um, snippets that had been cut from longer sections that might actually have made more sense if they'd been fleshed out a little bit. It's almost like he's tried to make a film entirely composed of punchlines. Um... Back to uh, the, the low points. Frenzy, the uh, the soundbite thing. Um, this guy turns up repeatedly in two and three, and he's even more annoying. The, the little spy guy. I, I think a little spy guy turns well, up. No, really you, get, no. you get wheelie, wheelie in two. two. He's called Wheelie. Yeah, and yeah, he's not a- humping little guy. Oh God, he was humping things, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, okay. he humps Megan Fox's leg. Okay. Or is, or is the best thing oh, I called, yeah. I heard him referred to as Joe Pesci bot. Yeah. Like, oh God, and he speaks. Oh God, I, oh, I'm not looking forward to these next two. Mm. Oh God. Okay. Yep. Really didn't like French right this though. He kept jabbering and and, and um, what? Why don't I like him? Oh yeah. When he finally dies, it's not a result of the Secretary of Defense or or um, Simmons or the completely irrelevant hacker people that I don't know why they're in this film past the halfway point. Um, he kills himself. With a saw blade that boomerangs for whatever reason. How Which does a not- saw blade boomerang? I have no idea because it didn't boomerang any other time. Did it uh, bounce? 
No, it spins around the empty room and comes back to his head. The only time his saw blade does that to conveniently kill him off. Around about that time, is that when they're inside the dam being attacked? Yes, it's, it's, it's when they the pull room. out the shotgun. Yeah, it's when they pull out the shotguns and the flamethrower that are conveniently loaded in an archaic room. You want to talk about convenience? Um, <laughs> you know the original Transformers, where basically <clears throat> Megatron could change into a gun that was extremely can- small, yeah. um, and or a uh, giant gun. Soundwave could change into a, a small cassette recorder, uh, but wouldn't be wouldn't retain the same density. He basically made himself lighter so he could be picked up and moved around. Uh, and they decided not to really go with that kind of crazy physics. They basically had everyone change into something that was the same size. Except when Frenzy's head turns into Megan Fox's mobile phone. They were heavy, but not that heavy. That heavy, you know. I did actually like that one fact. That was probably another thing to put in the good column was the fact that the transformations made sense. They couldn't do the sort of weird... Perspective, uh, not perspective, uh, but the weird shape size change, you know, you couldn't become the gun or the walkman, it, it had to be something equivalent, that was probably a good idea, apart from when they buggered it up with Frenzy. I, it's, they mostly stuck to that, and uh, I, it's actually better that they don't have ridiculous changes in size and mass, because then you kind of have to explain it, or yeah. pretend that it's not there, which is dicey in sci-fi. <laughs> is this really sci-fi? Is this just fantasy? Uh, it's, 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 this is just fantasy. <laughs> I have that in my head now, you sod. No escape from reality. Yeah, I, I put stupid hacking spiel because whenever the Australian girl turns up, she says something on the lines of like something. Alien just, DNA computers. Alien, yes, exactly. She yeah, says something what? along the lines of that would take an average hacker two hundred years to to hack. No, it wouldn't because by the time three years had elapsed. Hacking technology would also have moved forwards. I think the one sensible them bit was the brute force with the supercomputer, because that's usually true. Brute forcing, even with a supercomputer against proper encryption, usually does take quite a vast amount of time. Because but you know what? Every time I thought when she was on screen, oh, hey, it's that guy from Buffy. Because always directly next to her was the dude from Buffy who was in the trio. Oh, yeah. 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 I know that she's supposed to say like, alien DNA computers, so she sounds very clever, like, oh, she actually kind of has a lead onto what's going on. But uh, if, if I recall in the Transformers canon, they don't reproduce in any way that would conceivably have DNA. They come from, what was it, the well of all sparks. It's space magic. They come <laughs> from space magic. Optimus Prime is basically space Jesus, so yes. Yeah, it, it's it's space magic. There's no alien DNA for them to use. First there was darkness, then came the space magic. <laughs> um, yeah, so all of her stupid hacking spiel, anything to do with hackers is awful. And that that's when they really, like, nerd out. And Let's face it, Hollywood never really does hackers right. Mm. Oh, yeah, but Hollywood tries never to make got them entertain- It at least tries to make them entertaining, go see uh, hackers or the one with uh, Dan Aykroyd in. Dude, you uh, need to, that's sneakers. You need to do sneakers. one of those righteous hacks with one of those Gibsons. <laughs> um, do you think they're wary of, of giving people examples of how to actually hack in case they go out and do it? Here's, no, here's the thing no, they for just you. Don't Real hack- Here's the thing. Real hacking is really, really fucking boring. Yeah. It's it's I've not heard. action-packed or exciting. It's just lines and lines of code. It doesn't have those beautiful 3D displays of turning numbers and panels and things that you're building up. It's it's it, You can't really see in the same way 
the progress that you're making. It's not visually resplendent of... Uh, it's uh, not visually interesting or... Mountain. Uh, or it's not that interesting at all. Yeah. Um, but I'll, they kind of had to address it because, obviously, since technology has moved on since the 80s, computers and the Internet have made things completely different. In the same way as Terminator now suddenly has to address the digital age. Um, unfortunately, maybe they addressed it a bit too much because it became obvious they were showing their hand a bit too much. And it's like, we have no fucking clue what we're talking about. She may as well just have stood up and gone, oh, the otter stroker double splazwanger is... <laughs> Is exactly what we need to jack into that Matrix boot. Did anyone check the firewalls? Are the firewalls breached? The firewalls are breached. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? They know that firewall is a word that people know. <laughs> the best bit is how they stopped the hack in the first time, because it's the actual way you probably would stop a hack. They turned it off. Cut the landline. Turn it off and on again. Turn it off and on again. Yeah, so stupid hacking uh, spiel. The comedy cop one, uh, that, that sort of uh, ties in with the um, uh, authorities out operating outside the law. Again, see, this is the point where I started bouncing my head off the desk for fun. Comedy racist tech support. There's nothing like making fun of Indian men on the other end of the phone giving us bored uh, racist tech support. Hardy, hardy, oh, Yeah kills the tension in that scene too it's, yeah, it's, a perfectly, yeah. it's a perfectly good fight scene of just gunning down Scorponok and then Indian tech support and it's like really it's like they went this scene is far too intense we need to lighten it up with some comedy yeah this is after the uh, uh, US soldiers have already I mean this film is very very pro troops it doesn't for one second condemn uh, the acts of soldiers and uh, it frankly fucking shouldn't uh, but um it, it's the, the, with the very first words out of the soldiers mouths um uh, tyrese gibson's like la, 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 enough of this la, 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 hispanic shit speak it in english and it's like yeah okay fair enough but yeah. i think that falls under the uh, the mexicans are funny uh, yes bracket i, think yeah. I don't think yes. he's also no up. no no he's not because they is he colombian well, they try to make. He mentions etouffee, which is a Creole dish, mm. which is French and African originated. And basically, <sighs> that whole scene it starts out playing out well because he's talking about his mother's home cooking, and like they could maybe sort of go, "Oh yeah, I'd like to get me some of that right now." We all we uh, hear is shit. You know, she just doesn't, she doesn't like the cornbread either, and it sounds like uh, aliens. Mind you, I say aliens, but fucking Hudson's ripping on Vasquez for being Hispanic already. But the point is, he loses to Vasquez. She wins. She goes, hey, Vasquez, you ever mistaken for a man? No. Have Have you? you? Boom! Aliens (laughs) does racism well. That scene as well is so... They very obviously sat down and went, right, we need to care about these soldiers. How do we make people care about them? Let's write each of them a little snippet about what they miss, what they're looking for. I was sat there thinking, are any of these guys 24 hours from retirement? (laughs) I want to get a picket fence. (laughs) Any one of them that died were probably 24 hours from (laughs) retirement. It's like, I like Josh Duhamel. I loved him in a series called Las Vegas. He's a very entertaining, funny guy. And in this, he's still good, but he is given the most generic of generic things. It's like, he's a father who's never seen his kid and you know he's just trying to get back to see his kid it's like <sighs> this was when we were still heavily entrenched in afghanistan wasn't it to 2006 mm-hmm. 2007 Seven. so yeah. yeah they wanted to, to make sure that they were uh, uh, supporting our troops because a lot of them ultimately would also end up being their audience 
uh, and uh, or, or knowing their audience. So and also, you, you know, they want to scare them. Yeah. Don't they, forget, they also, you know, Michael Bay has a, uh, not only has a fetish for the American army, they, they do tend to lend him a lot of their toys. You know, the stuff you see is real stuff, so they tend to lend him that. So he probably wants to stay on their good side. Yeah, have this re- and make us look good. But that's I, just love, I just love to be on the, the receiving, hi, it's Michael Bay here. Uh, can I borrow an AC-130? Was it an AC-130? Uh, I don't know what <laughs> You know, I want to fire the big guns, the really, really big guns. Yeah. I want to what? use uh, your vehicles as uh, characters in my movie. Okay, yeah. cool. Make them look really cool. Yeah. Is it okay that they're the bad guys? What? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> well, oh, it's Michael Bay. It's we, fine. We, we, won't, we won't give them any characterization, so it won't in any way tie back to you. <laughs> what confused me about that scene where he is frantically trying to get through um, on the phone and they're looking for his credit cards and he's trying to deal with the, the poor boy board Indian call center guy is in that situation, how many soldiers instinct would be called the Pentagon? Surely he should be trying to contact his superior officer. I think he was dead. Although I will admit to smugly laughing and I know I shouldn't have laughed at this joke, but where he's looking for the credit card and Tyrese just cries out in this sort of macho way, left cheek, left cheek, left cheek. <laughs> That was funny. That was actually genuinely funny. But yeah, as you said, Neil, this does fetishize the, uh, the, he goes a little bit too far into trying to make the American military look too good to the point where it's like, whoa, yeah, look at that A-10 tank buster. Look at that, how it blows the shit out of Scorpion. Also, look at all this you know, fucking ordnance. When the AC kicks in, I just looked at it and went, Call of Duty. Yeah, very, very Call of Duty. And this was just before, around about the time when Modern Warfare came out, so it was perfectly timed to hit people exactly at the right point. Um, the Tooth Fairy Kid. Sharon called foul on this one. This is when the Autobots arrive, and I think it's Ironhide steps out of the, uh, uh, the swimming pool, not properly formed yet. And this little girl goes, Sharon? Are you the Tooth Fairy? Now, she's about Lyra's age, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'd say so. Oh, she, but yeah, if she's starting to lose her teeth, out, yeah. Then, yeah. So she may be a bit older than Lyra. What the hell would Lyra say if she saw Ironhide climb out the swimming pool? Uh, I think she would scream and run, frankly. Yeah, she'd scream and run, and then she'd watch him very carefully to see if he was uh, aggressive or friendly. One of the things that Lyra loves the most is something that looks big and scary, but turns out to be very gentle. She loves the Iron Giant like crazy. She loves Eric Bernison from uh, The Golden Compass. She loved Bumblebee as a result. Uh, you know, something which is supposed to be scary or, or is not. But this kid, yeah, Hulk. Um, and so she's frightened when some, the opposite happens and something which she thought might actually be an ally turns out to be scary and, and out to get her heroes. Uh, so the Avengers, when Hulk goes after Black Widow, she became quite uh, agitated. And it wasn't until later when uh, uh, Steve said, and Hulk, smash. Oh, God, we could be talking about the Avengers. Oh, let it go. Let it go. We've done, we've <laughs> done the Avengers. Look I was going like, to say, we've done the Avengers. I'm on board now. I love the Hulk. But, Considering but, what the rumours of the trailer is going to be with the Avengers 2 anyway. <laughs> enough, enough. Um, <laughs> Keep your pants on, Alex. I can't. I just whipped him off. <laughs> just, I'm checking it right now. Just, <laughs> I poked the table up off the floor. <laughs> anyway, this yeah, it's grown up three. This kid, all the kid has to do is go awesome when Iron yeah. Hyde steps out. You know, so you're like, well, that's an unusual reaction from a little girl. But at the same time, it feels oddly 
natural, not Hollywood. The sort of like, you know, hey, little girls can like Transformers too. But instead they go for, are you the truth fairy? Which, like, you would, like, no, no one, no one in any, no one would ever say that, ever in the history of ever. Also, the fact she's carrying the pink unicorn as well. Oy. It's almost contemptuous. They've actually, er, earlier in the film, I believe it is, that there is a little boy who does. Oh, oh no, he's later on. It's when it's, oh, it's later, is fighting, it? Well, uh, that doesn't make any pilot. sense either, though, because he's just been in the middle of a very traumatic situation involving said robot. He would be scared shitless. Freaking out. Like the He'd be guys. like the kid. He would be the kid, like the kid in the car in The oh, yeah, Spider-Man. Yeah, Iron Man or Amazing Spider-Man or Hellboy. Just any number of films where people freak out and start screaming when things start smashing around them on the freeway. Um, but at the same time, his reaction of awesome, while detached from the scenario, is still more realistic than... Are you the truth fairy? It's a tiny moment and it's grating, but it's there's very little female representation of this film and this smacks of contempt. Jad, I've got, I've got a simple three-word ass, uh, assessment of the way that they have uh, characterized Jazz in this film. Jazz is disgusting. He has, like, three lines. He basically turns up, breakdances a bit, and goes, Yo, bitch! Or something along those lines. Like, that Boys is... cracking little bitches. <sighs> this is a good place to chill. Oh, God. And also, if... And technically, if we're this going... This will jazz, appeal to our urban market. Or... I was, I was going to say, Pretty also for a white guy market. I was also going to say, uh, he, that character is meant to be black. He's the only Autobot to buy it. The black guy died first. Yeah. I'm actually glad. He just die. He gets Jazz, ripped in half. I'm actually glad that Jazz was torn into just so that disgusting creation could be off our screens. But long time Autobot fans, of course, love Jazz. And I'm mm. like, what the hell happened to Scatman Crothers? Sort of, yeah. They could have picked Ludacris or something to make that character at least funny and entertaining. Because, hey, it's not like Tyrese doesn't know him. Yeah, and characterize him. And mm. keep him around. Not just have him turn up, say, one line, do a bit of breakdancing, and then get killed. That's pathetic. I suppose they did that to sort of up the stakes and go, you know what, anyone could die at this point. You're like, well, not anyone, just the characters that you can't be bothered with. Which is most Which of is them. most of them, yeah. But you, you know who you're not killing? Bumblebee and Optimus Prime, because they want the kids to buy the toys. And you're going to get the most varieties of those two guys. I've just put here, I, any, any positive words on Jazz? No. Apart from, way to kill his character, you bastards. Also, I mean, that, it's a very distinctive, gorgeous-looking racing Porsche with the martini uh, livery uh, in the white in the original uh, ca- cartoon and comics and uh, toys. And, and he's got that sort of, like, awesome blue sunglasses. And to take that very distinctive character, I know he wasn't exactly multi-layered and textured, but then to turn him into this plain-looking insectoid silver guy who just is nothing and then tear him in two, that, that's... That is a perfect macrocosm of how these movies work. Not in it's all cases. Simple. Yeah, not in all cases. Some of the, them they actually characterise. I mean, I've got, I've got to watch the twins again. Oh, fuck. yeah. You thought Jar Jar Binks was insulting, racially speaking? Yeah, I've, it's not often you can say a character or characters can make redeem Jar Jar Binks. The twins do. Yeah, I, I was, I was praying for Jar Jar to come back. And step in some poo. I've already put uh, Ironhide as an idiot um, because, uh, as I said before, he, like he's super aggressive. And uh, 
Look, you've got Peter Cullen there. Would it kill you to just have him get back in the the, uh, sound booth and go, Prime, we gotta get us some Decepticon tailpipes. And just have him, like, characterize the character we know and love. And I know it sounds crazy, but why not make him red? It's not going to confuse us. We know he's not Optimus Prime. (laughs) Still let him be a truck, but does he have to be black? Because then he looks like a Decepticon. Yeah, that's true. I mean, this is just, like, the most superficial, like, it's not going to change anything about the movie, but at least, like, my brain would have gone, well, that's Ironhide, if he'd sounded like Ironhide and been red. Because that's the thing. They didn't even have to hit any mark of depth. They just had to sort of replicate certain things. Or, like, if you're going to replace it, replace it with something worthwhile. Regarding Optimus Prime, he's very complicated in, in his uh, design. And if you, if you look at the very simple, boxy, original Transformers, I know I'm complaining about something that's seven years old now. There was a point in the middle between super complicated thousands of millions of moving parts and these, like, big, boxy... Cartoons. Yeah, I think that the, the uh, that is a whole problem throughout the franchise, not just with Optimus, but applied to all the Transformers. Mm. They are over over designed. Yeah, mm. and Optimus too is many the, little small spinning squares. They all look like Rubik's cubes. And Optimus is the best designed of all of them. You know, I, I'm not massively enamoured of his style, but like, uh, compared to say something like um, who's one of the worst, like Megatron. Megatron's appalling looking. They did the designs first, and they went, right, we just need more panels. And then they just kept adding panels and adding widgets and adding things. They look very delicate. Like, surely they need these moving parts to function. So you just rip a few of them out, and then suddenly they're not moving properly anymore. They should be more armored, surely. Yeah. Like, you know, like when they lift their arms up, you can see all these moving parts underneath their armored plating. But is then is it doesn't it make more sense to have them sort of like look like they're wearing suits of armor? Uh, yeah, it should because when then, as you put it, not formed when they when they turn up, they actually look more armored. Mm. Mm. They actually yeah. look more protected, you know. It, but it should be easy to hamstring or kneecap these guys. Yeah, I'll rip out your optics. Speaking of which, I haven't. It hadn't occurred to me how dead their eyes are. It didn't occur to me because I hadn't seen Prime yet, and I hadn't seen the animated characters' little eye movements to show that they're thinking when they're being mm-hmm. quiet, when they're being spoken to by someone else. And, and I, I, you can't see me, but I'm basically sort of like my eyes are flicking le- le- left and right just a little bit to show that like my brain is scanning and that there's something going on in there. They've got like flashlights for yeah. eyes. They're totally dead. There's no expression in there. I asked Sharon... Is there a robot that has been um, done outside of animation in films that's been really well characterized without necessarily requiring very detailed eye movements? And she said, Johnny Five. And I doubled, redoubled with R2-D2. And again, they kind of went for the, that's what they did with Bumblebee. Hell, even C-3PO. Yeah. And his eyes don't move. And actually, Bumblebee um, is the most emotive because they can't have him speak. So, And they obviously, yeah, he's the hero character, so they really focus on his little movements and his, his um, expressions as such. And so they characterize him. But all the rest, like, Prime, it's all in the voice. Because basically, if you watch the film without the soundtrack at all, 
you would get nothing from that character. He's got these moving lips which lead to nowhere. He's got what would I would imagine robot lungs or something like that. It, they removed the um, the classic sort of face mask thing to make him emote more, but they forgot the eyes. See that as well. The lips thing kind of emphasizes that there's something here that they fundamentally don't understand because they have looked at the face and gone, right, what makes the the most movement? Where does the emotion come from? Where does uh, communication come from? Oh, well, it's all about all these tiny little lip and chin movements, isn't it? Did no and one it tell totally them. isn't. <laughs> Did no one tell them, you know, the eyes are the window to the soul. I said that about Optimus the other day. Um, have souls. <laughs> I said that about Optimus the other day. He has two massive windows on his chest. That's a brilliant quirk of character design and possibly a mistake. They didn't realize when they designed the Diaclone um, convoy that he would end up being such a heartfelt character. Basically, you have two enormous eye-like windows in his chest that lead to his heart, which leads to the heart of the Autobots, and the whole Matrix MacGuffin and the whole, like, the soul of the Transformers is all in there. And Optimus was, has always been able to, like, be really emotive, just with, a, like, a blank face, blue eyes, but little sort of head, head tilts and things like that. I think they could they could have just had him just gone straight forward with the, uh, like, cover his mouth up the whole time and focus on the emoting without his mouth moving. I think that would have led to a more uh, visually moving Optimus rather than just relying on Peter Cullen's voice, which is fantastic, I might add. You're right, though, if you about the voice. If you take away the visuals from this, Prime is still Prime. Yeah. Yeah. Prime is still Prime, but he's not emoting in the same way. No, but the the point being that the other robots could be anybody if you take away the visuals. Christ, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't even really tie uh, Bumblebee up with Bumblebee. No. He doesn't look in any way like Bumblebee. He's yellow. That's about it. And, and Megatron. Like, if you put Megatron and Starscream next to each other, just headshots, you'd have no clue. You have that with so, any of the Decepticons. It gets worse as it goes on. Yeah. Also, the whole patio section, like, there's this, oh, it's such a waste of everybody's time. This film could have been 20, 30, 40 minutes shorter if they just, oh god, yes. this bullshit. I wish they had, because I'm sneaking I, around the house. Just tell your parents about it. It's a matter of g- galactic security. I, I think it's around this point, I think I, I decided, right, I need a cup of coffee, I'm gonna pause the film, pause the film. You know how when you do it on the consoles, it brings up, like, the, yeah. the time remaining. And, and it I reminds you, like. I looked and went, an hour and a half to go. Oh, kill me now! That scene that made hour, up a page of my notes. It's like the film is going on at a fairly decent clip. It's having a few problems, but it's moving quite smoothly. It's going quickly. Then you look and go, "Oh yeah, this is where it goes," and screeches to a halt because we have to fit in the comedy. Andy, do you say you had lots of notes on this? Uh, no, well, just I mean, I was generally just putting my thoughts and reactions as to why the Autobots were acting so stupid during that scene. <laughs> and and it makes up like a page of my notes. One of my biggest questions, they've been 
generally examining Earth culture for a while now using the internet. So why are they so stupid as to transform into cars in the middle of a patio? Couldn't they have at least like seen Google Maps and been mm. like, oh, people don't park cars in the middle of patios. Unless they're having That's- a Fast and the Furious doll meet. <laughs> I could have been watching The Fast and Furious and actually enjoying oh, myself. I could have been watching any one of those films, even Too Fast, Too Furious. Which is probably the worst of the lot. Yes. But at least it's still entertaining. It's got and less awesome. racially insensitive. Yeah, Tyrese Gibson's in that, isn't he? He's, yeah, he's in from... Well, if you don't count, well... There's your link. Yeah, that's why I mentioned Ludacris. Because they have actually quite a good rapport. Ah, of course, yeah. Carry on, Andy. No, just general, the stupidity of the Autobots just walking around smashing the entire place like they've never met small objects before. Yeah. It's like, why? Why are you so stupid? Even Optimus is like smashing the fountain and stuff, and it's like, are they really that stupid? Yes, they are, apparently. It feels like someone sat in the office, described what happens in the middle act of the Iron Giant to them, and they went, oh, that sounds great, let's just sort of write some shit like that. And they basically wrote it based on, like, a a Chinese Whispers version of what they heard about in The Iron Giant. There's an incongruity about what they know as well. The the, the fact that they apparently know what rodents are, know what mating um, pheromones are for mammals, yet don't understand the concept of piss. Now that I think about it, the Iron Giant is this film, only it's brilliant and made oh, 31 million. And starred Vin Diesel. <laughs> Rock tree. It made 31 million as opposed to 709 million, as opposed to 1.1 billion. The Iron Giant was a terrible flop. It cost 50 million to make. 50 to 70 million. It's a wonderful film with a roughly similar premise of Optimus Prime comes from outer space, befriends a young boy, the people are uh, at first afraid of him, and then the whole con- like the concept of guns and military ethics comes into it and is far better explored than it is here. I, it makes me ill that all of these people will go and see Transformers 4 and if, if they had it swapped out for the Iron Giant, how they would go, no, give us back Transformers 4. There's a possible exception of me who's got, who would go, I still haven't seen this film. I'm staying here. Oh, no, obviously, yeah. For the, for the people who, um, who haven't seen, for the people who have seen the Iron Giant, you get to see it again at the cinema. But for the people who haven't, just sit in your seats and let us educate you. Question. Yeah. If the Iron Giant, and I know that it never would have, but if the Iron Giant had had the Transformers marketers. Oh yeah. Do you oh, think absolutely. it would have been? Yeah. Warner Brothers pretty much buried that thing. They had, they had no idea how to market but it. Why? See, this is, this is what frustrates me so much. The artistic content of a film, the cultural content of a film, the, uh, the interest content of a film even. I'm starting to think it has no relevance. It's whether or not the marketing department think they can sell it. Why? Karen, that's having... exactly what happens. That, I hate that, to break it to you. That's what they do. As a, my father, as a, being a marketing executive, I would like to state yes, that's exactly true. Oh, God. That, just splicing um, Bill Hicks here. Yeah, no, no, I don't want to say that to poor Andy's dad. Uh, um, not, 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 
I, I, but it I, is true. This I, is what they look I've at. Heard this, I've heard this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, that, sorry, that wasn't me picking on you, Dad, either. But it is, it is how they look at these things. It's not about the artistic merit. It's, it's not about what it says or the cultural. It is, to them, how much money can we make off this? Also, merchandising, where the real money from the movie is made. This well, is what I though. It's, it's not... From that sense, it's about whether or not they understand it well enough to mar, or whether it fits into one of the demographic boxes well enough to be able to market it without having to put too much thought into it. Just, sorry, brain exploding. (laughs) It makes me sad. I'm sorry that this is the way it is. This they look. I know that's the way it is. Ah! It doesn't make me any less sad. Down go, calm. Go to your happy place. Hang on, Neil, are you saying it's like that? And that's, and the, that's way the way it is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, well, hey, I'm happy we got a Run DMC reference. Yeah, me too. Do you remember the bit where the little widget, like the phone turns into a transformer and then flies about the place, like attacking them from inside the glass case? Because of the AllSpark, it turns it into a thing. Mm-hmm. In the Hoover Dam. It has a Chinese grenade launcher on its back. Actually, it's a Russian RPG-7. Portable, unguided, shoulder-launched, anti-tank, rocket-propelled grenade launcher. Only this one's tiny. And and bullets. And bullets. Sharon pointed out, fairly rightly, those come from it. Surely it's firing off bits of itself. And I don't get why a a, a very distinctive miniature Russian rocket launcher ends up on it. It doesn't make... Is that encoded into the AllSpark? Yeah, again, MacGuffin. We need this to happen because the plot says so. It, it makes no sense whatsoever that this this little Transformer Orson has a projectile-based weapon. The fact that they have projectile-based weapons actually makes no sense because you think, like in the um, um, like in the series, they used laser weapons. It was all about the energy and the energy that they carried. But whereas in this film, they're using projectiles, which my head, you know, me scratch my head. The thing that makes the most no sense to me about that whole scenario is the the cube and the all spark. The whole point of it is that it's supposed to engender life, right? The idea mm-hmm. is that it, it takes dead planets and it creates, uh, presumably in the in the case of the Transformers, silicon based um, uh, entities that have sentience and uh, through and space magic. And well, yeah, through space magic, indeedy. Um, but why is it that all of those creatures are born spoiling for a rumble? <laughs> Did this makes me worry what Michael Bay thinks about life. Are we all just somehow evil and just at some point turn good? It's just a bit creepy. Because there's, uh, there's the scene later on where Sam falls over with the, the all-spark and it he does the Xbox, the, the steering wheel, the Matt and Doom machine, and they're all evil. Yeah, well, they're all, they're all scrappy, that, they're all fighting, they're all war the, machines. Or is that Michael Bay making some really obscure point about consumerism? No. No, he's not, not that clever. No, Michael Bay represents consumerism. <laughs> yes, he is a lord and master of consumerism. They did miss a trick, however, when the uh, little uh, Xbox 360 suddenly turns up. It should have red-ringed and fallen on its back. <laughs> 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 that would have... That, no, no, Alex, that's an actual geeky joke. 
Yeah. And he wouldn't have got that. As we've seen from this film, Michael Bay appears to despise geeks. It's almost like a preemptive strike. It's like, oh, all of you little fuckers are going to complain that I didn't get jazz the right color or something. Yeah. Okay, here's what I think of you, you donut-eating little fucks. No, no, he just, I think in general, hates his audience. I think he knows that he's making crap. He knows that he's just making garbage. And he just doesn't care. Because at the end of the day, he's going, yeah, I make shit, but look at my bank balance. Look at the mansion I live in. I am very tied up here because again. I, I want to, I feel compelled to attack Bay for his lack of standards and for his obvious contempt for his audience and for his popularity. Ultimately, when it comes down to it, if Michael Bay was making films that nobody went to see, I think we'd probably attack him a lot less. We'd just, like, who's the director of um, Human Centipede, for example? Oh, God, so I don't know his name. He's a bit of a cock, though. Yeah, exactly. He's a bit of a cock, but no one knows his name. It's not really the thing to rip into him, because the human centipede didn't make $1.1 billion. We don't go around making let's rip into Uwe Boll podcasts. Oh, actually, we should. <laughs> he's but, getting better. He's still terrible, he? but he's getting better. Oh, what's he done recently? Tom Six. That was the name of the guy who directed the human centipede. Oh, there you go, right. Good old and Tom he, Six. And yeah, he's a... He's a I want to attack Michael Bay. I also kind of want to attack this giant audience because on the one hand, I'm defending uh, them all and saying, look, these writers seem to think we're idiots. But on the other hand, they keep turning up to be told that they're idiots. That, yeah, that's the long and the short of it. What conclude from this? I want to trust humanity and say, you know what? We invest 1.5 billion in the Avengers because it's great. But we also invest 1.1 billion in Transformers 3 Dark of the Moon. And that's an awful, terrible film. Oh, God, yes. Empirically speaking. Oh, no, no, I agree. Um, It's weird. Do you remember when Pacific came, came out in the States? Do you remember what film? What fucking film they went to see? Growing ups too. Yeah. That's, I, yeah, that says it all. I don't know why. I, I, I mean, I go to these, I, I mean, I don't like two. Uh, actually, I hate two. I think it is the worst of the lot and I think it's actually a crime against cinema, but hey, especially when in the middle of the film, a character talks about telling a story. Plot, middle, beginning, end, condensed, concise. <laughs> okay, we may have broken Neil. Carry on. I, I, my housemate loves these films. And I, I, it's like, why? He goes, well, they're just dumb fun. I, I swear, we let too many things get away with. It's okay. It's a summer blockbuster. It's big dumb fun. One of the first summer blockbusters was freaking Jaws. That wasn't dumb. I can't say it was fun. It was terrifying in places. Jaws is fun. And terrifying. And terrifying. But that, that's, I mean, they're not necessarily exclusive. Oh, oh. Pitch Black is fun and terrifying. But you can't say that Jaws is dumb. No, you see, hell no. It's, it's like uh, the other one that really, and this one drives me nuts, and I should imagine it probably drives you two nuts, is the whole, it's a kid's film, it's okay to be stupid. Who cares? It's for kids. No, because the bar's been raised. I think this comes down to, I, I think these films and their success says more about the way the industry is. And how it markets and anything else about, you know, it, you, you, you shows you that films really, for the majority, 
really aren't art or about art or, or vision or direction and stuff. It is about how you market a product because that's all these companies see these as and a well-marketed product. Well-marketed spectacle. Yeah. Yeah. Which, oddly enough, is exactly the accusation that you can level against the worst parts of the video game industry as well. Mm. Yeah. yeah. it's um, I can't remember which book of Kermos it is where he's talking about people want to see the money on the screen. Well, and having said that, Amazing Spider-Man 2 made, uh, just in the end, just over $700 million. Yeah. But that thing was marketed like crazy. And Sony yeah. wanted to make a billion. So... There is a point where people will go, ugh, enough of, and yeah, they, I, they, they hit that with Amazing Spider-Man 1. Yeah, the thing there is, uh, you have to, marketing is a fine line that you have to, you have to market it, and you have to market it like crazy, but you also have to not overdo it, because people will get tired of seeing, uh, seeing it. I, I know people felt that way about Pacific Rim. Not the film itself, but because they, they ran for so long pushing that film, mm. That people were turned off when it kind of came out because it's like, oh, I'm fed up of seeing trailers for Pacific Rim, you know, eight months out, nine months out. So I think that it's a fine balancing act there on on the whole how you market something. But I think that, I swear these films just show you more about the industry, how they do, how it works, than than you know a director's intent, a writer's intent, and things like that. One thing that we uh, that occurred to us while we were watching this god awful film, uh, I think. I started thinking about what would happen if, um, you know, Daniel's sort of Transformer suit. What if mm. um, humans could sort of get into Transformers and actually drive them like Gundams? And I was thinking, well, that's just Pacific Rim, isn't it? And then I thought, what if after enough time with human pilots, the Jaegers started piloting themselves? <laughs> I hope that's Pacific Room 2 or 3 that could be interesting I, I think it might actually happen it's the sort of thing that might work because Ooh. of the drift what? who's always going to be in the drift? oh my god today we are cancelling the apocalypse <laughs> for reasons why Idris Alba is cool time to cancel the apocalypse again <laughs> <laughs> we yeah, do this have every year yeah. Um, oh God. We could be watching and talking about Pacific Rim right now. Unfortunately, I love that already. Stop it, doesn't it? Uh, but I, I think the closest we're ever going to get to that idea is if Michael Bay ever. He, no, he wouldn't. He, he can't do the Headmasters. No one liked the Headmasters. Headmasters. Uh, the the rumours for Transformers five and six include uh, Unicron and uh, is it that will kill me if they do Unicron? That will just kill me because. I, I'm, I've seen two interpretations of Unicron, and I can't choose between them, because I think they're both really, really good. Mm. So how, how could he really bugger that one up? The other, the other one that may appear is Vector Prime, who's basically another Prime, and uh, I don't know. We've I already just... done that with Sentinel Prime, because I bet you it'll go the same damn way. Oh, Although I, I will maintain I have one rule since these films start. And I will stick to this rule. And my housemate has the same rule, and we've, we swore that we would stick to this. If Hot Rod ever turns up in any one of these <laughs> goddamn films, we're walking out. I, I think he'll turn up. Excuse me, are you the Tooth Fairy? 
Sharon uh, said very clearly when they were in the middle of the Hoover Dam and the uh, soldiers started pointing guns at the government agents, grown men don't act like that. Now, I believe some grown men do act like that, but this should not really be how the grown men on screen are acting in our films. Yeah, the, the, the cops another great example of that. that, that yeah. Just in general how the cops act, like, they wouldn't do that to him. They'd probably look at Sam like he... He'd either taken something funny, drunk too much, or mm. just nuts, and they wouldn't care. They'd dismiss him in an instant. It seems to be run through a filter of an overexcited child who oversimplifies everything and turns everything into a crappy joke. Yeah, the idea that, that basically, and it happens so often throughout this film, and so many action films that kind of follow this template that when things don't go your way you start waving your firearms around and when the what is he the secretary of defense yep says okay i do what they say now no you don't reward that kind of behavior mm. i think I, I don't know my political structure now. it's been a while since i watched the west but isn't he like the second or third most important person in the government secretary of defense Oh yeah, he's, he's pretty high up. We haven't even mentioned John Voight. John Voight's in this. Seems to be quite bewildered as to what's going on. <laughs> yeah, but at least he's not phoning it in. For the most part, not many people are phoning it in in this film. If anything, I would say a lot of them are a little bit too enthusiastic. Hmm. Anyway, I mean, just the whole thing ends with this witless, cacophonous, nonsensical, seemingly endless showdown that goes on for what? It must be at least half an hour. Yeah, a lot of Transformers three smashing and looping, and just twirling through the air. A lot of shooting. I kind of I, it makes things more tangible and real that they're using like machine gun style bullets as opposed to lasers. Because once you get the lasers in there, suddenly you're in uh, just clearly sci-fantasy territory. But the problem is that's illogical. If you're up against metal armoured creatures, why would you use bullets which are not best designed to pierce metal armoured creatures? Maybe they're armour-piercing bullets. They're failing then, aren't they? Because they all bounce off them. Mm. It's like the explanation... There's an explanation in Gundam as to why the Gundams fight with mostly sword shields and projectile weapons. It's because the technology advanced so far to make projectile weapons useless. Lasers actually make a bit more sense because at least they can cut through metal. Yep. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah. Yeah, Big big metal life form. Bullet, laser, bullet, laser. Then again, Megatron rips one in half without really trying, so... Oh, it's all contradictory. Because again, again, now that I think about it, if they did use lasers, it would be more like War of the Worlds. Or maybe even the Iron Giant. Because he uses lasers and that's, and death rays and sort of alien weapons and the whole thing feels far more, actually far more alien. Maybe they should have just used lasers. Maybe I just completely stepped on my previous point. The other weird thing is as well, like at the end of this film, it shows, more like Josh Duhamel. I can never remember his name. I just remember his Josh Duhamel because that's how well his character is defined. I can't remember his freaking name. Mm. But you know, at least his... at least you're calling him by his actor name. I just keep thinking of him as the guy who looks a little bit like Timothy Oliphant. Captain William Lennox, both of you. Lennox, right? Uh, Lennox's team actually managed to be effective against the 
the Decepticons in the end they they they, they learn lasers. that yeah strange enough with well laser pointer yeah. it worked laser designator uh, but it works and then every other film where they're in and they, as the army they get their butts kicked did, did someone magic their bullets away that no, seemed to work because there's no learning curves in these films no one learns or does anything or grubs oh, that's this one or takes anything on board also the other thing if they did use coloured lasers would have been colourful mm. you know aside from uh, a bit of Optimus Prime's armour and a bit of Bumblebee's armour and actually Ratchet's kind of yellow that's it for the movie. You got blue skies and silvery black twisting no, no, no. battleship must, insect robots. We must save the colour for the gorgeous landscapes that I will shoot. Cause that's the only other bit of colour when he, when we're in, uh, what did he say? Qatar? Qatar. It's, uh, yeah, it's desert. It's desert, but they, sh- he shoots it very beautifully. He makes it look vibrant. Mm. You know, the colours are very vibrant there, but the minute we get to like the US, it's, yeah, it just goes grey. All of a Brown. sudden it gets very dark and dingy. Speaking of battleships, and I know we're speaking of back at Battleship Grey, but speaking mm-hmm. of battleships, one bit that really puzzled me, at the very beginning, when the, uh, the network is being attacked, and all they know at that stage is they're being hacked. They don't know by whom, they don't know where that person or persons might be, um, and yet they deploy an entire fleet of extremely big, extremely expensive-looking battleships and aircraft carriers to do what? Just sit in the middle of the Pacific and wait to be told where to go next? This could be one guy in an apartment building in Manhattan. It could be that screaming guy. It could be. It could be that dude from Die Hard 4.0. Yeah, it could be Justin Long. Uh, Die Hard 4.0, which was released about the same time, ha- had a very similar feeling because it had a, a similar. It was sneery about nerds. Yep. And, um, uh, and it had Timothy Oliphant in it. And it had that great big um, like fighter jet that I think Starscream turns into something very similar. And Bruce Willis surfs on. Uh, if Starscream had had Bruce Willis sitting on his head. That would have been amazing. See, this is interesting, actually. I will I will draw the Die Hard 4 comparison. I can't really give Transformers 1 a one star. Because now I'm, I'm doing... I'm experimentally trying star ratings now. Let's uh, see uh, if we can go forwards. If I give Transformers 1 a one star, where do I go with 2 and 3? I don't think Transformers 1 is a one star film. It's probably a two, two and a half. Well, no, I don't do stars either, but. Yeah. We're, we're, obviously, you know, this is just sort of like from my point of view as opposed to just, I am declaring it for the ages a one star mm. film. It's just basically, how do I rate this thing? There's too many things that we talked about at the beginning that I actually liked, which mm. are muddied by the, just the, the fucking rivers of shit. Um, yeah. But they're still there. Those peanut butter cups were still there. So it's a two. That similarly means that Die Hard 4 Point Less is a two-star film because there's a few bits in it that are all right. Because Die Hard 5 is a one. Most definitely. It's not a one. It's a zero. Well, that's the thing. If I can rate things zero, I can rate Transformers 1 a, a a one and Transformers two and three a zero. Problem solved. I think. I think. But the then, thing what is, do you have left for things like the Human Centipede? You know what? I prefer the Human Centipede to Transformers two. Nothing. Again, I will we're, go we're on down. saying that it was shorter and less <laughs> and less disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> the 
I'm not that offended by the human centipede. I think there's far worse out there. But I think what gets us is you, you know how we talk about the bad, yet we talked about the promising stuff and the stuff we were noticing. There was potential here. There was really, really good potential. And somehow, and I don't want to let all lay it at Bay's feet because I don't think that's fair. Yeah, I'm actually trying to be fair to Michael Bay. You know, I think... I never thought I'd live to see that day. You know, I think this... I think what gets everyone is there's potential there, and they, I want to know what it could have been in the hands of another director. Because, like we're saying, the action pieces uh, where it involves real things are really good. But the minute the robots come on the screen, it's like he doesn't quite know what he's doing, or he feels out of his comfort zone, maybe. And it's never. And he's just decided, well, the first one worked. We'll just do more of this, and more of this, and more of this. I wonder. You know, if he'd followed through with the I'm not doing one past three, or if they'd chosen to do have a different director for every film, what we could have got. Because there's definitely... This is a lot of setup as well, and the setup's interesting, but there's no follow-through. I know it's... Uh, I tend to sort of say I'd like to see him do this about everything, but J.J. Uh, Abrams' Transformers... Yeah, he yeah he could have been interesting enough. To, Considering or, or Super Eight and uh, Star Trek, mm. he's uh, he's definitely good at delivering sort of futuristic stuff with a lot of talky chit chat with the characters you actually like. Well, how about Brad Bird? Oh God, yeah. Oh, hang on, uh, Brad Bird. Oh, he directed Mission Impossible Four, didn't he? But then he also directed The Iron Giant. Shit, yeah. And I think Mission Impossible Four is one of the better ones. Also, for what it's worth, folks, Edge of Tomorrow's good. We'll probably do a review on that at some point. It's completely unrelated. I suppose just the Tom Cruise link. But, uh, yeah, Doug Lyman could do a Transformers film. Yeah, I, I think this is perhaps a mistake. But again, it goes to the studio. They made us money. Yeah, don't... don't they charge. Like, they, they, you know, if they made less each time, they would then start to think... What do we do? what do we change mm. to make the format uh, more agreeable? But instead, it seems to be whatever we're doing, keep doing it. Doing it. If it's not broke, don't fix. It. Yeah. Or well, let's face it. Someone who has ex- let's see, someone who's experienced with heavy CG movies, giant robots in them, yeah, fighting. Color. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see his Transformers. He'd do his own thing and like completely toss the mythology out the window, but it'd be a better film. And it'd be visually stunning. And let's face it, they kind of tossed the mythology out the window already, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, they, they they definitely rely on MacGuffins way too much in these films. You have the old spark here, which is the MacGuffin. You have, don't want to call it this, the Matrix of Leadership. The Matrix. And the second one. You know what, I've watched the third one twice. I can't remember. I don't want to remember. It's something. a thing of stuff. No. Oh, it's the teleport rod things, yeah. Just think to yourself what would have happened had they been able to maintain this level of reverence. 
where the rest of the Autobots land on Earth and Optimus Prime finally pulls up and transforms. Something we've been waiting for since we were tiny, tiny children. we've ended up remarkably upbeat about this piece of crap. Yeah, like I said, there was promise here. I think that's, I wonder if that's what irks us more than anything, seeing that there was good promise there, that, you know, no. there was room to grow. No, it doesn't irk us that much. Um, it, it irks us that two and three were so bad because they could basically have done a similarly sort of not really going anywhere, but sort of, you know, with some stuff of worth in them for two and three. And we're like, the Transformers films are okay. Like, the the second G.I. Joe film, I, I, didn't, I didn't really hate the first G.I. Joe film quite so much. You you don't like it, do you? I don't like the first one, though. No. Mm. I like the second one, but I don't like the first one. Anyway, but... So... Mm. I think what, what just galls me is the fact that... Chew, I can't explain why audiences keep going back. Yeah. And it's not just because of advertising, and it's not just because of merchandising, and it's not just because of nostalgia, and it's not just because new generations of kids come up and suddenly take an interest in this stuff. I'm not able to pin down what it is. If I was, I would be a big budget Hollywood market money man. And, and you wouldn't that. care that the films were shit because you were making money. And I would have no problem with selling my book because I would just put in it everything that people like. And it would be an erotic thriller just crammed with um, Tom Clancy-style Cold War stuff. <laughs> I bet there's a book like that somewhere. <laughs> yes. I think that's probably several. But, uh, yeah, let's just leave it there. And we'll come back with two and three. I think uh, this will be its own show, and then two and three maybe can go back to back. Yeah? I'm not looking forward to this. Neither am I. Neither am I, son. But, uh, yeah, we've, we've, we've done the first one. We don't ever have to watch it or talk about it again if we don't watch it. Also, biggest shock of this episode. (laughs) Biggest shock of this episode. Me and Sharon agreeing about Megan Fox. Yeah. What? I am surprised. Also, I'm going to have to go on record for this one. She is hot. Yes. I wonder if she actually gets too much criticism because of the way she looks and the way she's forced to trade in this film. Being, look, she's stunningly... That was actually another one to the bad. Every woman in this film, apart from uh, embarrassing parents, happens to be a model of some kind, surely. Yep. 
Yep. Yes, when the hackers turn up, I said this, you've got two relatively normal-looking guys and this Australian bombshell Bombshell. sitting in between them. Hmm. Not to be confused with the Transformer bombshell. Well, indeed. Now, that's not to say that attractive women can't be good at things, but, you know, mix it up a little bit. Have some women who look average, standard, normal in your world, please. Just a few. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, right. That's it for Transformers 2007. I, I suppose we'll finish on Linkin Park, yeah? <laughs> we'll make our promise to the stars. We will be back for Transformers. Revenge of the Fallen. And Dark of the Moon. <laughs> uh, and Age of the Extinction. Probably not. No, we ain't tuned for. <laughs> just, I'll just save that for the video. Yeah. Will be a video. Okay. Um, so, right, thank you very much, Neil, for coming on. You're welcome. And Thanks. this wasn't as painful. I'm actually happy I saw something in this film I hadn't seen before. That actually made the viewing experience marginally worth it. So it's worth, folks, going back and reappraising things that you may previously have hated. You, 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 you change, even if they don't. Yeah, like I said, I was actually stunned at noticing that Michaela was so proactive in this film. Yeah. And also, thank you to uh, Andy Rodriguez, who had to leave suddenly and unexpectedly halfway through this one. So I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And Neural Handshake handshake Complete. Wow. Rosie Huntington-Whitley, the model who replaced her. See... Here's the problem we had with Megan Fox, chaps. She's just too damn smart. What we want is a less smart woman in this film. There's a point, actually, where... Let me stop you there, Michael. At the beginning of this film, uh, uh, one of the uh, boys says to Megan Fox, Hey, you're my lucky bunny. Oh, it's... No, no, no. Why Why doesn't my little bunny ride in the back? And she says, I am so not your little bunny. Which, interestingly, gets kind of a reference at the beginning of uh, Transformers 3, where we start off filming pretty much inside Rosie Huntington-Whitley's anus as we travel up the stairs with her, and then it sort of pans back. You see her bottom, and um, she she holds up a soft toy to Shia LaBeouf and says, I'm your new lucky bunny. In other words, we can replace you, bitch, like that. And this girl is compliant and subservient. She does what she's told, and she doesn't call Michael Bay Hitler. Yeah, but evidently it worked out for Megan Fox, because she's in another Michael Bay film. Yeah, she had to apologise publicly for that, because Steven Spielberg did not take kindly to the Hitler reference. Yeah, yeah. Hey, we don't take kindly to Nazi comparisons around here. Yeah, but if she'd have turned around and called him a dick, he probably wouldn't have. Probably would have agreed. I think this. I don't think it was actually directly to him. I think it was just something along the lines of like in an interview. She said, mm. "Oh, dude, he is totally like Hitler. He's a fascist." Yeah, I mean, I've not know, actually heard many good things about the man. So, well, I've heard that he uh, is very good at meetings and has lovely hair. One down, two to go. With the Allspark gone, we cannot return life to our planet. And fate has yielded its reward. A new world to call home.
We live among its people now, hiding in plain sight, but watching over them in secret, waiting, protecting. I have witnessed their capacity for courage, and though we are worlds apart, like us, there's more to them than meets the eye. I am Optimus Prime, and I send this message to any surviving Autobots taking refuge among the stars. We are here. We are waiting. <laughs>